The following podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The following program is not ashamed of the gospel and is about to tell you the truth. Jesus prayed in John 17, 21 through 23, that we believers would be one, that we would be unified. Why? Because he knew. Jesus knew that if sinners are saved by grace and brought into this new community, the church, where they might experience care for one another and love for one another and encouragement for one another, something transformational, something wonderful, unique from the rest of the world would compel others to to knock on the door and say, I wanna come in, please let me come in because I wanna have the kind of transformation in my life that you've had. It's what my soul longs for too. The onlooking world said of those early Christians, look at them. Even when they disagree about worldly things, behold how they love one another. In 2016, an organization called YouGov asked respondents, all things considered in general, are are things getting better or are they getting worse? And 68% of Americans said it's getting worse and only 6% thought it was getting better. And I don't think they're wrong. I think there's a general recognition that there is this stagnation and deterioration that is taking place in modern society. Because what is often referred to as the culture war, you're losing, we're losing. And if we're honest, we should be able to admit that something has to change in the way that we're participating in this struggle. This podcast is generated by those who believe there is another alternative to what our culture teaches and thinks. We believe the truth that people want to hear is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us today. Pastor Walt McFadden, it's been a joy just kind of going through the urban ministry thinking and theology and practicality of urban ministry with you. This is our fourth series on this theme, and I've got a great question for you, and I'm going to pop it out on you at the end, because I really think there's some issues here that the church does not look at when it comes to financing urban ministry. But cities have been with us a long time, almost since the beginning of creation, but there was a significant change in how cities developed due to what happened in Genesis 11. So it seems to me that the culture was one, and then the creating of different languages, and then everything changed. Tell us more. Well, that's a loaded question. (laughs) There's a lot there. Cain built cities. Lamech built cities. Cities have been around since the beginning. It's not that God opposed cities. It was the goals and purposes, or I guess I should say the vision of that particular city, which was Babel. And that is the second most significant city in the scriptures outside Mm -hmm. of Jerusalem. And it came to represent Satan's kingdom. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of mythology around that particular city. Some of it is biblical and some of it's not. Some think that's kind of the time when the gods came down and started marrying the daughters of men. Some of that is recorded into the book of Enoch, whether you take it as legitimate or not. But what I do see at the Tower of Babel is the birth of idolatry. You don't have any mention of idolatry before that. There are legends around Nimrod that he, it says in the scripture that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Mm-hmm. The true meaning of that in the Greek is that he was an enslaver of men. 
So slavery was happening there. It's probably the first time in human history. Slavery, idolatry, crazy sexual sin. You have the birth of God, goddess, slash Ashtaroth, which is a male, female deity. So a lot is happening there at the Tower of Babel. And their main goal is to build up to heaven and cast God down is really what their goal is, hmm. not just to make a name for themselves. I mean, that's really evil, right? Yeah. I mean, it's as evil as it comes. I mean, Satan's probably behind all of it, and he didn't succeed in the first try to overthrow God, so now he's going to use men to try it, right? Exactly. It was evil. It was barbaric. Ultimately, Satan would just put himself on the throne. So there, there again, there's a lot of mythology around it, but there's it, when you put the mythology and the scripture together, it seems to make sense. The picture un, sort of unfolds that that was a satanic plan to build a city where Satan would establish his kingdom. Then you skip all the way over to the Old Testament prophets and what is the main threat to God's people? It's Babylon, which is Babel. And that's a, there's a contrast. And even some of the kingdoms and city-states around there they're used as examples of Satan. So we see that Satan is behind the powers of the world. God is still maintaining sovereignty over them. There's a verse in the book of Deuteronomy that seems to indicate that sometime around the Tower of Babel, that God gave these evil powers limited authority and established them over nations. It's a kind of a confusing verse, but it does seem to say, and I've actually done a lot of research on this, that God has limited Satan's power. He uses the word boundaries in the book of Deuteronomy, that God has given these evil powers limited authority and has sort of contained them within national borders. The moral of the story for us is we come to the book of Daniel and we see the prince of Persia. So that tells us there are spiritual powers there and they are in opposition to God. They have, again, a limited amount of authority. They are doing Satan's work. It's, it's kind of interesting stuff. So we have nations today, but the real power is in the city. So take the state of Minnesota where we're at. If you look at a map politically, the whole state of Minnesota is red. That's correct. Little strip of blue up on the Iron mm -hmm. Range, but even that's changing now. Mm -hmm. And then you have the majority of the population within the city, which is solidly blue. So the city is controlling the region. It is. They have the political power. They have the economic power. They control fashion, media, the list goes on and on. And we see a lot of states in America now, like, Colorado has always been known as a very conservative state, but Denver is very liberal. And so all the gun manufacturers leave the state of Colorado because the laws that are proposed in, in Denver. The, the point being is not a political point, but the point is that the city is really what controls what happens in a culture. And I want to come back to that. But what I thought was very interesting, I remember sitting in the congregation and you were talking about Babel and you were talking about there's a parallel to today's culture because it seems that Babel is trying to be rebuilt by our political and sociological economic system today to try to overthrow God, at least in the values and principles that this nation has been built on, the Judeo-Christian values. Speak to that just a tad. Yeah, back, you and I remember the Gulf War and there was a lot of talk like, 
about Saddam Hussein was trying to rebuild Babylon. Babylon has become symbolic of Satan's kingdom. And so he's working through cities, he's controlling cities, and by controlling the cities, he's controlling the government and economics and so forth. And there's something very sinister and very evil behind that. And then when the Israelites wind up in captivity in Babylon, which is quite strange, right? God allows his people to live and exist within Satan's kingdom. The same exact thing is happening to us in the United States right now. We really have to take a step back and and reevaluate what is the role of the church? How do we exist in this culture? And God says to the Israelites, you're going to be here for 70 years. It was supposed to be one year for every Sabbath that they had missed or every Jubilee. I can't remember it. But anyway, there was a reason why there was a 70. God says, I have to keep the Old Testament law because I made it. And you're going to honor this by being here 70 years. So now pray for the prosperity of the nation where you and build homes. And it gives us a different perspective from the escapism. I don't think there's any stopping what's happening now in our country. I don't either. So we have to just change our mindset a little bit and realize that God's probably not going to put somebody in the presidency who's going to all of a sudden turn the nation because the hearts of the people aren't there. It's not there anymore. We're running about 10% of our country as truly Christian Mm -hmm. and maybe six to 8% are attending church on a regular basis. That's where Europe is. Mm -hmm. And we, we thought, oh, we'll never be to that point. And there was always this mythological 40%, which I never believed that 40% of the population was going to church every Sunday. No. So things are changing, and we have to realize we're in Satan's kingdom, Mm -hmm. but we have authority. And we'll talk about this in in the coming podcast. There's good news is that heaven and earth have been connected again. We're a part of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. So we have power and authority over what's here. We have to occupy, like Paul said, don't have an escapist withdraw prepper kind of, mm-hmm. I, I talk to Christians all the time and they say, well, I got 30 days of rice and beans if things go down. I'm like, what, what is that? That's, that's not yeah. kingdom thinking. God mm-hmm. God is our supply and 30 days isn't going to last you anything. But mm-hmm. just that whole prepper, save up guns and ammunition. I have nothing against guns, save up guns and ammunition and rice and beans and be ready for all this stuff to go down. The story is already written in the book of Revelation. The church mm-hmm. is going to be heavily persecuted in the end times. And that's where Babylon is also brought up again because Babylon's yep. going to burn. There's going to be judgment on Babylon, which is you're saying is Satan's kingdom, which I would agree. Also, it's interesting that I heard one Bible commentator a few years ago say that there isn't going to be a big revival like so many prophets today say there's going to be. What he said was going to happen is we're going to be throwing out life preservers to those in the sea or the sea of people. And those that grab them, great. Those that don't, well, good luck. So let's get myopic for a few minutes. You've given us an overarching view of Genesis. Genesis 11, which I think is a great place to study about culture and about language changes and so forth. But cities do change. And you've seen it around the church that you pastor, around City View Church. It had a huge change in the last 20 years. I mean, most of what you see on most of the street of Lake Street, which you're near, is Hispanic community. And that's changed over the years. Even over here where I where I live, Central Avenue is all international. So we're seeing this international community come. So this idea that language separates us is no longer an issue because everyone is speaking sort of the same language or can. How does that influence urban ministry today? 
Well, uh, let me say, let me start out by saying this. I think the church is still missing it. They're missing the opportunity. That being said, we can look at that and we can say, here's an exciting opportunity or here's something to be afraid of. And I have to be honest, I vacillate between the two. Hmm. Sometimes I think, man, what's happening to our country and how things are changing? But on the other hand, I say, God is bringing the nations here. I might have mentioned this in the last podcast, forgive me if I did, but thinking about the apartments across the street from the church where I used to serve, they went from white to African-American to African to Hispanic and back to white. So now they're condominiums. The building was changed from an apartment unit. So it's gentrification where whites start moving back in. The same exact thing is happening in New Orleans where I do a lot of missions work. The community that used to be African-American is now almost exclusively white and Honduran. So some families came in the neighborhood about eight years ago. I remember when we were there, these few families had just arrived the same week and they're still there and they're still living in the community. And it's just, everything has changed. People could get a house for free. This is after Katrina. You could get anybody to just give you a house. We work with a woman. She had 30 houses at a time, and they were all given to her. Wow. Now she still has five. But now those same exact houses are three to $400,000. We're talking about a house with no basement, and they're referred to as row houses or shotgun houses. So there's tremendous amount of change. Look at our neighborhood with all of the low rises. I just heard this yesterday, I think, the term 15-minute cities. Have you heard this phrase before? So they want everything to be within 15 minutes of everybody. Your shopping, your job, your working, your housing. And so public transportation is going to be a big part of that. I'm I'm not too hopeful that it's working very well right now. Well... I know that our audience is international, but in our city, one of the suburbs, Roseville, is building a hotel, a apartment complex, high-end grocery stores, whatever, all within the mall of Roseville. So if you live in the apartment or you're at the hotel, you've got everything right there. And so you're right, more than even 15 minutes, you go down off of the elevator and you walk to whatever you want. So yes, that is a concept. I never realized they called it that though. Yeah, so imagine you you just have more people and they're stacked higher. Our, just our neighborhood, if for those who don't know, Minneapolis is divided into neighborhoods and each neighborhood had its own population and its own sort of like mini government. It has a neighborhood association. You're in one, I'm in one. And our neighborhoods are larger than most cities in the state of Minnesota, and they're getting larger. Mm -hmm. I remember 20 years ago, they were saying that they were gonna add another 10,000 to the population of Minneapolis. I heard recently that Minneapolis has to build 90,000 more housing units to accommodate the number of people that are moving in here. And they're only building about 15,000 right now. So what is that going to do to property values? Mm -hmm. What's that going to do to transportation and every piece of land that the city purchased it? They bought a small lot across the street from our church and they put a triplex on that. Mm -hmm. So they're they're also giving rewards to landlords who change their single unit into, into double. So the number of people coming in, the different ethnic groups, the different languages, all of this is a great opportunity. And it's not going to happen the way that it happens in other places, mm-hmm. like particularly in the suburbs where the church still maintains some 
level of success. But we, the church has given up a lot of property. We're not going to recuperate that. It's going to be smaller groups. We're looking at having a Brazilian church move into our, our church building. They have only 60 people. That's pretty big. Yeah, it is. They can't afford their own building. Right. So these are a lot of the dynamics that are well, happening. Also, I think all these apartments, they're not condos that are being built. These low rises you're talking about, they're all apartments because they're good for investors. They get a greater return from that. So basically what it's saying is that nobody's going to own property. They're all going to be renters. I think that's a problem, Mm -hmm. but that's another podcast. So in all these neighborhoods that we're talking about, there is a cultural divide. So as a pastor, as a Christian leader in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, how do we find common ground with these different cultures so the message of the gospel can take hold how do we do it we hit a wall i think 30 years ago we went through white flight and then we had here's the city and the city is dilapidated and is crime ridden we know all the stereotypes and then people started moving back in Mm -hmm. i see the opportunity and this is what our strategy is personally it's funny god gave me this dream years ago I dreamed of a church buying a mall, and our church is not a mall. Our church has got a lot of different segments, a lot of different rooms that's divided up. So one of the things we're looking at with this Brazilian church is to move in our facility and their children join our children's ministry. So our church has become more diverse, mainly through young people coming through the youth group and then sticking in into the church. It's not all of it, but that's a part of it. Well, I found in your statistics anyway, you were saying that all these young international families, these cultural families moving in, 50% of those families are under age 15. And you sort of answered that with the Brazilian example. So how do we create a multicultural, you know, youth ministry? I mean, it's not only with Brazilians, but there's Africans and there's Eritreans. I mean, there's, they're all over the map and they all have a different culture coming in can you actually do a youth ministry with all those cultures yes because they speak english they're american they dress american and it even causes a lot of conflict in the families the you know the parents come i was just uh, hearing from somebody about all the ukrainian refugees and they said there's a lot of problems between the parents and from the kids but how long are these kids going to continue to go to school to with different ethnic groups from wherever around the world be friends and most of the kids are born in the united states how long is that going to happen before they look to the church and say where is the diversity in the church so our goal with our youth pastor is i'm telling him get kids into this youth group wherever you possibly can and make it as diverse as you can because that's the wave of the future for the church You know, you're theologically trained professionally. You went to Bible college or seminary, whatever it was. But I don't remember ever having a course on how to interpret the city. There is nothing out there. At least there wasn't when I was in school. And so many pastors, you know, they're good theologically from the pulpit, but they don't have any sociological training to understand the city and how it changes and how it's growing and how to reach it. What would you say? That's a very good question. Even some of the early stuff that came out 30 years ago about urban ministry, this is, people started talking about it a long time ago. A lot of that stuff is outdated. It really still was about reaching a homogeneous unit, you know, go into this neighborhood and it's predominantly this particular ethnic group. But now you've got all of this variety and you still have some language barriers. And I, again, I think it goes back to the, to the kids but the idea of us 
and I, I want to be careful how I say it, the idea of us all gathering together with one particular ethnic group and being together under our style. So that's part of it. It's I, I always say everybody wants diversity until they get it and they realize the cost of diversity. And then in the middle of that, how do you maintain truth? How do you challenge certain aspects of culture that are not biblical? You have to really concentrate on kingdom theology. So there are things, we've gained a lot of Hispanics in our church now. It's kind of funny because I use the term Hispanic and a lot of white people say, you can't say that. But the Hispanics call themselves Hispanics. So there's a lot, <laughs> we got to be careful. We got to really know what we're talking about. What are you going to refer to them? Like I call them Latinos and some of them are like, what are you calling us Latino for? But you've got to really have your, your pulse on kingdom theology and you have to explain clearly to people. Like one person said to me a long time ago who had ambitions to be a, a missionary, God created all culture. I said, I'm not sure where you got that, but I don't think God created cannibalism. So what are the aspects in my culture, which is white, white, I'm white. And what are the aspects in Hispanic culture that have to change? Mm-hmm. So there are some, I'll just use a couple of examples. Like in, in white culture, we're not good at hospitality, but mm-hmm. they are. Right. So we're learning as a church. And they have sometimes, some of them came out of a particular church that was had a real domineering leader. And they say, we're really learning a lot more about servant leadership. And they see in me, just want to be a normal guy. You don't have to call me pastor even. Most people just call me Walt. So it takes a lot of work. God also has to bring people into your church that are willing to make sacrifices and give up some of the things that they hold precious. Well, white people like to build fences, Pastor Walt. Yes, they do. <laughs> That's part of the that lack of hospitality. You stay over there and I'll be over here and we'll be fine. Yeah. So you say, which I think is very interesting, you say that the church has neglected the city. Now, you've been unpacking a little bit of that, but get specific with us, right? Oh, yeah. The, where do the majority of our resources go in the church? Let's face it, in the evangelical church, we don't have massive resources. I'm a part of a church fellowship, and we just don't have massive resources. It's a fellowship of 500 plus churches, which is pretty good size, but it's not like we can throw a million dollars here and a million dollars there to, to do a church plant. So I still think we put the majority of our resources where we're going to get the biggest bang for our buck. I've had many times suburban churches will come in, they'll help us with an outreach, and then they'll ask us, how many people did you gain? How many people joined your church that outreach? I'm thinking, do you understand? That's marketing 101. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Do you understand how much work it takes Mm -hmm. for me Mm -hmm. to reach a Somali? The other comment that I get is, you got 140 different languages and dialects in your community. Your church must be really diverse. There's less than a dozen Somali believers out of a population of 90,000 in the Twin Cities. Mm. And that's a generous estimate. Right. We just have not been able to break through. And there are groups that I know some prayer groups that pray all day, every day, five days a week Mm. for Somalis to come to faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. And you think that I'm just going to go out on the street and... One of my missionary friends that say the worst thing that could ever happen is for just a white person to walk in the Somali mall and share the gospel. Mm. They don't understand how to reach Muslims, but that's our, our mentality is you use the word marketing. Exactly. That's mm. it. 
I have to tell a story of my wife. I, I don't know if you've ever played the lottery. I usually don't. In fact, if I'm going to buy a lottery ticket, I make her buy it. And so the lottery is at $1.5 billion coming up this week. I said, honey, why don't you go buy, buy some tickets? <laughs> because wouldn't that be nice? We'd have all this money to give to City View Church or, you know, whatever. And she goes, I wouldn't give it to a church. I said, well, why not? Well, it's the parachurches that are doing all the work. You know, the mm. teen challenges, the feed my starving children. You just run down the list. And for some reason, she has seen so little work within the church reaching out to the community, which says to me that sometimes maybe the church is sort of like a private club, you know, like a country club for people who silo in this group and they meet each other's needs and they pray for each other, whatever, with very little outreach. So here's the $64,000 question, Pastor Walt, and I want you to be honest with it. Your budget, any church's budget for that matter, how much and what percentage percentage really goes out to outreach and how much to keep that church going oh boy probably five percent goes where to outreach wow and yet when you look at that our admonition our challenge is to go into all the world yet we mm -hmm. spend most of our capital on ourselves now that's yeah. sobering now 10 percent goes to world missions so in, we've got that well, part in, of it in your church correct yeah, in our right. church but one of the things we're looking at as a church is how much of our resources do we need? Because we've grown and we're a much better, much stronger position financially. How much of our resources should go to Samaria? You know, the Great Commission. Go into Jerusalem, Judea, that's one. Samaria, that's my cl close neighbor who's ethnically different than me. And then there's the uttermost parts of the world. And that's where the church in America is missing it. The future, the action is in the city. And where does the church continue? And I'm talking about the big church. They put their resources into the suburbs. Where are the big churches? They're in the suburbs. It's not very sexy, and it doesn't feel very rewarding to have a bunch of churches of 50 people. It's much more rewarding to have a church of 2,000 plus. And Minneapolis, our Twin Cities, has huge churches all over the suburban areas. And some of the larger churches now, the mega churches, are coming into the downtown area. My question is, there isn't a day that goes by in my neighborhood that I don't meet an immigrant who's come in within the last week. I'm not talking about months, but week. How are we going to reach that group? So we're probably going to wind up birthing a new congregation for Kichwa speakers, which are from South America, because there's so many. Those are just some examples of what where the church needs to focus its attention. Well, urban ministry, you got a lot of balls in the air. Really, you do. You're, you're juggling all kinds of things. One of the things that happens with large churches in the suburbs is you can't buy land, sizable land for parking lots and whatever in the mm -hmm. city. So that, I mean, in one defense for that, yes. they have to go out and buy acres rather, and you can't get acres. I mean, look at your church, mm -hmm. City View Church is right in the heart of South Minneapolis, but you have problems with parking because you don't, can't get enough land, right? And we don't have enough parking, and it is a big challenge. And are people willing to walk two blocks to church when they can go somewhere else? It is, it is a huge challenge for the church in the cities. So 
I think that today we've just began to scratch the surface on all the different dynamics that you face when it comes to city ministry. Well, I appreciate you, Pastor Walt. You're the senior pastor of City View Church, right in the heart of South Minneapolis. Tell us just a tad about how people can find you and what time are your services. Our services are at 1030. You can watch online if you'd like to check it out. That's the new fad is, hey, let's let's see what they got before we go. The website is cvcmpls.org. Our culture is confused, and that confusion is spilling over into everything today. God is never confused, and those who know Him and obey Him are never confused. Confusion is the absence of truth. But here on this program, we untangle our culture's confusion with the truth. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and please let us know your thoughts on our topic. We want to hear your feedback and your concerns as you think out loud. Please visit us at cvcmpls.org. That's cvcmpls.org.